I'll be very honest. Because I make a lot more money these days, I don't budget because <laughs> if I just keep my lifestyle the same, the expenses are very, very consistent. Yeah. So I used to be like so stickler. Every penny I would track because I made only $8 an hour. So every day I would literally like track the money. And then every week I would have a meeting with my husband and tell him, hey, we're over this by $3. We have to spend $3 less somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was really tough. Um, it was a constant checkup, constant, had to make sure everything was very accurate. Um, but these days, because I make so much, it's kind of just like, if I, if I just don't go out and I just keep my lifestyle very simple, you just save money naturally, I guess yeah. that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah, it different good. when it's, when you're in a relationship as well? Like how does the budgeting work when you're a couple? Uh, both, both people need to be on board. When I first got married with my husband, I told him I wanted to combine the finances. And he said, why? <laughs> I think it kind of made him uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I told him that when two people are married, you, it, it's different. Being married with someone is not the same as being like boyfriend, girlfriend. And then, hey, we both live here. So let's cut the rent in half. And we also have food together. So let's split the groceries. It's just not the same. Mm -hmm. Because mm. when you're married, the way this works is you combine both of your resources into one pot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. all the money goes into the same checking and savings account. And then from that one pot, you you both have to decide where do you want this money to go? Right? So like, it should be a monthly thing and also a yearly thing where you ask like, what do we want to accomplish this year? And mm -hmm. then we both do everything we can in our own way financially and, you know, around the house as well to help contribute to that. Uh, like, so for example, when it was our first year getting <laughs> in marriage, uh, that's when I asked him to combine finances. He said, I'll give it a try. And then, <laughs> Um, I said, okay, we're living here in Texas. We know we want to move somewhere, not here. There's no opportunity here. He needs to do his PhD somewhere else as well. So we know we have to move. And I calculated we needed to save up $5,000 for the move. That's like for the cross-country, cross like hotels, gas along the way, food along the way. Yeah. Um, uh, like moving the stuff that wouldn't fit in our car. So shipping it as well. Mm -hmm. And then it also includes like the deposit for an apartment. So like, that's everything, 5,000 to $6,000. And then yeah. I, I, I was like, that's 10 months from now. So we need to save about 500 a month. And then I just built that into the monthly budget. And then um, because of that, like the savings came first, like off the top, it's our goals. And then it's everything else, right? And then so because yeah. of that, what's last is discretionary spending. So I told him, you have only $300 to spend on anything you want every month, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I also had that as well. And then he was like, oh, that's so low. And then I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of what we have to do if we want to hit this goal. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to move or we have to take on debt to do it, right? And so we followed it every month. And I also like told him whether we're on target or not. And then I thought he was on the same page as me, but when we found the apartment we wanted and it was time to write the check for the deposit, I pulled out my checkbook and then the guy goes, okay, you need to put down like $3,500 right now. I was like, okay pulled out the checkbook, I start writing. And then he just pulls me aside. He's like, oh, hold on, hold on. I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, 
we have that much money in our account. I was like, yeah, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. We've been saving for this for 10 months. I've sat down with you every single week. He's like, I didn't know we had that much money. If I knew we had that much money, I wouldn't have agreed to eat out less. <laughs> <laughs> so like you know why we were we have to be on the same yes. page so that's mm -hmm. that's the difference when you're married um the finances is different from being like just in a relationship you really mm -hmm. have to be on the same page with all of your goals now <laughs> is it is it cheaper to have a girlfriend or is it cheaper not to have a girlfriend because <laughs> one of my friends is like oh how's your love life going and he's like Psh, it's way too expensive <laughs> and on the other hand, I have a friend who's like, oh, we're splitting everything in half. I'm saving a lot of money doing it. It so. depends on the girl you pick, right? If you pick a frugal uh, <laughs> girlfriend, then you will save a lot of money because the girlfriend wants to save every dollar she can, like me. But if you want to date someone who's like, wants to dress up as a 10 all the time <laughs> and wants you to take her out to like, I don't know, a new place every single weekend, you're not going to save any money at all. I think... I, I met someone who said, oh, yeah, I used to be married to a Japanese, not not Japanese, Jewish American princess. <laughs> princess. <laughs> yeah. Sounds expensive. Sounds That's a big expensive. difference, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they divorced and he, he was broke. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to end this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So another question I had was so let's say we're all trying to save for an emergency like an earthquake or like a hurricane or some kind of um yeah doomsday emergency you always see in the movies the bunkers are always so expensive like they always have <laughs> these really sophisticated bunkers with years worth of supplies and i feel like it's so expensive to have like you know be prepared so do you have any tips on saving money uh, for for that kind of like yes catastrophe, mm -hmm. um, I'll actually be very honest. Uh, for the last two months, um, because I feel like it's not even safe here in the United States. I feel like there's gonna be some sort of terrorist attack <laughs> that I have to prepare for. Um, my husband and I we each have backpacks mm. so that in case of emergency we can just grab it and hop in the car and go instead of trying to pack our whole life into the car. Mm. Uh, but I, I do understand it's expensive because I'm, I asked ChatGPT, uh, in the event of emergencies, what items are handy to have on hand mm -hmm. <laughs> to like have in your backpack? And there was this, this like long list. And then I went on Amazon and I started like adding everything to the shopping cart. And I didn't even finish adding everything to the shopping cart. And for me and my husband, it was like over $500. So I was just like, oh, wow. okay, I, I don't want to like start saving like start just like buying everything at once i think maybe i'll i'll put like a hundred dollars every month um adding stuff to my shopping cart until it hits a hundred dollars then i'll check out order it and then put it in a backpack um yeah. so you know you can kind of like break it up like that um i've i've also like looked online of what people say you should keep in storage like in bulk for food in case of these emergencies mm -hmm. and that's also expensive because I mean, look at how much rice you would have to buy and how much mm -hmm. pasta and beans and, and all that stuff. And I live in a condo, so we, we also don't even have the space for it. Mm -hmm. So what I went on Amazon, when I went on Amazon actually two days ago for the food part, uh, I just typed in like emergency food rations or something like that, wondering if someone had built a kit 
of like food that you can eat in, in case of emergency. <laughs> and yeah. you could buy like literally a 30 day supply of food for emergency for uh, $99. Okay. That's not bad. Oh, wow. It's not yeah. bad at all. And you don't have to put it together yourself. It comes as a kit. So, mm-hmm. you know, so some companies have already done that. Where, like if you had this backpack ready and like the emergency happens, where would you go? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I would drive up to Canada, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I would drive inland mm-hmm. because I live in Boston. I live in a, a city, right? Mm-hmm. It's a populated city. So I might have to drive out to where there's less people. Yeah. Oh, Ali used to live in Boston. Yeah, it's true. First, you have to shovel the snow before. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I had another question to talk about tip culture because we all know tipping's kind of going out of hand. I mean, I went to the gas station. I filled my own car with gas. And then they still asked me, "Do you, would you like to tip? I'm like, I filled my own car with gas. Who am I tipping? <laughs> tip yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Pat yourself so, on the back. <laughs> so, yes, I said, no, I'm not going to tip on this. It's okay. I made the choice to not tip. Does that make me a bad person? No, I, I think... It's just, you know, I actually did bookkeeping for a client that owned a cafe. And of course, it's not it's not like dine-in where you have to tip. People order at the counter and then, you know, you call, hey, Annie, coffee ready. Okay. And then you go get it, right? But like, and, and some sandwiches maybe, right? It's not like a sit down where they serve you. And he has that thing on the screen asking if you want to tip and surprisingly a lot of people do tip i don't know why but a lot of people don't tip as well mm-hmm. and then when i had to run his, run his payroll every two weeks i was like oh my gosh your employees are making like 20 to 22 bucks an hour working at the cafe after oh, wow. tip yeah after tip after wow. tip he already pays them like a nice wage as the base it's mm-hmm. of of course it's above minimum wage already, and mm-hmm. then after tip it just is like a nice mm-hmm. dollar per hour on top. For sure. Um, so, I mean, I I think people do deserve to pay, be paid more, but I also have I want to also say like these kinds of jobs, it's not meant for you to stay there. Mm-hmm. As well, it's kind of like my opinion isn't so straightforward on it, right? Because I also think if you're working these kinds of jobs, you're not meant to be there forever. It's not a career. And I encourage you to find something that's actually a career and a calling and that would earn you more money um, because minimum wage jobs were not meant to pay your bills. They were just meant to like uh, be something to start you off in your life when you had no experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but some people, you know, they end up working in, some kind of minimum wage job for their whole lives in their in their 30s and 40s and still working at a cafe. And what I'm worried about is like the robots coming over and taking over everyone's jobs too. So you got to find a job where you can be robot proof. Would you agree with that one? Yeah, um, I think you, you do, but um, you need to have a whole set of skills combined mm. that is very unique. Like... Let's say if you can do both accounting and marketing and sales, like mm. that's more valuable than if you could just do accounting, right? I feel like people mm. these days, they need to be multiple things rather than just one that's in order to be more valuable. Because they always tell you, you should mm. specify a niche, 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 everything is niche. 
But what you're saying is the opposite. Is like, oh, you need to have a few different niches. I like that. Well, when you get so good at what you do, and you're good at multiple things, like I'm not saying like you're. I think what people mistake this for is like if you're good at so so many things, then the depth of your knowledge must be very shallow. Yeah. And and then that means your your knowledge is actually quite worthless, right? But very rarely do they come across someone who's knowledgeable about many things, and the knowledge goes deep mm. to the point where whatever problem you have, oh, you have a problem in the sales area. I actually know how to solve your problem because it's it's actually like the solution is a multitude of things combined yeah. into one, right? Very rarely do you come across people like that, and those are the people who make a lot of money. I was on an interview with a, a podcast host. Not this one, like just a, a different one. And he was interviewing me, but I actually feel like he had so much more to share with the audience than me. He's very smart <laughs> and he's really good at sales. Like his attitude was kind of just like, "Oh, my wife wants to buy a ten thousand dollar handbag. Okay, I would just go make another sale." It's not like, "Oh, let me think about how to get this for my wife. We let's make our finances work and save for it." It was just like, "Oh, my wife wants this. Okay." Um, let me see if I can just get another sale to pay for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's how good he is at selling, and that's from all his years of like accumulated accumulated knowledge in doing sales. And he said he would come across clients that hired other consultants to try to solve their sales problem, and it would take them months. And even after months of trying to hack away at this problem, they couldn't solve it. But then they'll hire him. He comes in, and he can tell them the solution in an hour. And they kind of, they're kind of just like, we wait. You you just did this for an hour. How can you charge us so much? It's only one hour. He's like, yeah, but you're paying for like twenty years of Experience. all the learning that it took mm -hmm. for me to tell yeah. you the answer in one hour. So that's yeah. kind of how you become irreplaceable. I see. It's it's interesting that um, when you said that the problem can be solved because, like, by a person who is knowledgeable in multiple avenues. Um, he solves the problem because it's a multifaceted issue. And do you think the reason why he's able to solve it is due to the fact that he's able to be more creative with his thinking and maybe even draw inspiration from, uh, from his knowledge in other fields? Yes, that's definitely how it is. And that's not everyone in the population. That's actually... It, it, the best example I can think of is like you know Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was basically the intersection of like design, mm -hmm. right? Marketing as well. He was crazy good at marketing and technology. Mm -hmm. So he was like the intersection of three things, and because of that, iPhone and Apple became this big company. It's all because of him. I mean, do you see Tim Cook making the company what Apple used to be? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. He he I feel like he's the kind that just maintain instead mm -hmm. of like go mm -hmm. above and beyond and go to new places. I mean, they're doing that. What is it that the Apple Vision goggles? Right. Yeah. But I can't foresee a lot of people jumping on buying that. <laughs> I can't foresee it. Well, yeah, it's too clunky. You look like a fish, you know, or something like an alien walking around with that thing, and it just looks a bit awkward for now. But maybe in the future, it'll come with cool, like Google glasses. And who like wants to watch YouTube while being out walking around too? You know, I feel nobody. Like yeah, exactly. What kind of use does it have? You know, it's but, very um, isolating as well. Like yeah, you're really, 
being separated from reality at that point. Mm-hmm. So you got to save money, make more money. And that way, the goal is to have a lot of money. What do you plan wow. to do with all your money? But, I mean, I, I think the real goal is to be happy. So mm-hmm. if you're happy doing what you do, that's the most important thing. Um, like, I don't push people to tell them, like, you need to make more money. You need to choose a career that pays a lot of money. I tell people, you should pick a career that makes you really happy. So for my husband in particular, he likes to sing and he also mm-hmm. likes anthropology. Those two things do not make a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. But I've always told people, if you do what you love to do, you will find a way to earn a living at it that is enough to pay your bills. Um, maybe if you find the right market, the right person who will pay a lot for it, you, you can earn a lot as well. I mean, there are artists that earn a lot of money as well, right? Um, but it's important to do it both sides, saving money, living below your means, so then you can continue to do what you love to do. Because like, let's say there was this photographer, he was my headshot photographer a few years ago. And I asked him, what's the secret? Why do you have such an extensive portfolio and why do you have so many clients coming to you? I researched so many headshot photographers in Boston and there were only three that stood out and the others weren't, they didn't seem like full-time photographers. It seemed Mm. like just a side gig for them based on what I was seeing online. And he said, Annie, the secret, is you need to be frugal. <laughs> and then I asked him why. And he said, it's because when you're first starting out and you don't have a lot of clients, especially repeat clients or word of mouth referrals, you if you're not frugal and you spend so much money on your lifestyle, you won't be able to stay in business for mm. those years when you don't earn a lot. But because I was frugal with my money and I, I spend very little money um, I was able to continue doing photography e- even during those years when I wasn't earning a lot of money. And that's how I've been able to stay in business for two decades. That's so smart. Yeah, exactly. Live below yeah. your means and think about it more of a long-term thing. I think the problem with people is lifestyle inflation, right? You always hear that the second they start making more money, they start spending a lot more money and things that were once luxuries are now necessities, you know, like, I used to I used to be able to be fine sleeping on a twin bed, you know, and now I need a queen bed. I don't know why. I don't want to live on a twin bed as an adult, you know? And yes, I'm paying more money. Do I need it? No, but it's but, my you know, I hope life. you know it doesn't it doesn't cost much more than a twin bed. <laughs> 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 you also gotta know that. <laughs> It's maybe like if on Amazon, right? A hundred dollar difference. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, why? Why do you think people like? I hear a lot of times people say, "Oh, I I can't live with roommates. I have to live by myself." You know, um, or different things like that. Oh, I need a more expensive car, or oh, I need to get a massage once a month. You know. You don't need to get a massage once a month. You don't need one. And they use the word need, right? They want one. Why does that happen? I'm actually not sure because I had a totally different upbringing. So Mm -hmm. I'm actually really grateful for everything that my parents gave me because we grew up very poor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every time I asked my parents for something, it was just like, no, we don't have the money. And so 
now that I'm an adult and I, when I started making my own money, I was like, oh, I can use this money to buy the things that I want. And I'm actually just so grateful because my mom, I think growing up, she kept telling me because she grew up in communist China, mm-hmm. I think right after the cultural revolution and there was a famine and um, you wanted to buy food, you couldn't buy food with money. Money could not buy food. If you wanted to eat food, you needed food coupons, food ration coupons. Mm. And these yeah. um, rations dictated exactly what it could get. So uh, this ration is for meat. This ration is for rice. This ration is for vegetables. And everyone got a set amount. Everyone got the same amount. Um, so when she tells me this, and then she also tells me, like, we want cookies. We don't have cookies. But here in the United States, you go into the supermarket, you want to get a a box of Oreos for $5, you can, right? There's an abundance of Oreos here. (laughs) And so when I hear this going up from my mom over and over again, I kind of like look at everything that I have. I'm just like, I don't actually need this. Mm -hmm. I want this. So everyone who tells me, oh, I need this. I need this. I need this. I'm just like, no, you don't. So (laughs) I'm not really sure why. I can't explain people's psychology, but I just know that my upbringing was uh, slightly different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did your mom ever tell you what they did for fun back in communist China? No, she didn't. All she ever tells me is how life was so hard (laughs) and how if you want to work, um, you don't get ahead even, even if you work. She said the difference here in the United States is if you want to work, there's opportunity to work to get ahead. But in China, Mm. it's like, even if you want to work, it's just so corrupt. You can't. You can't. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It's, you just stay in your place then. Yeah, basically. There's... And if you don't, must... then you disappear, right? <laughs> <laughs> it must be very depressing to live in that kind of state. Like, it really debilitates you and demotivates you from actually wanting to to do anything. Right? Yeah, I think so. So I'm, so I'm guessing, like, the living in the U.S. and working in the U.S., and that sense of purpose that you get from work, that's the, is that the, like, the motivating factor for you? Yeah. What I, what I think of is like, I, I always think of what life could be. I always think of how mm-hmm. society could be different. I'm really idealistic. And what resonates mm-hmm. with me a lot is the American dream is not, to me, it's not about, oh, I earn more money than my parents. I have a higher education than my parents and I can buy a house with the white picket fence and I can buy a car. That was never the American dream for me. Yeah. Um, for me, it was always, you know, growing up in seventh grade, when you learn American history, they teach about the Declaration of Independence and mm-hmm. they say life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. I thought of that. The pers- like the ability to pursue your happiness is the American dream. So the ability for me to uh, pursue playing piano or to pursue making YouTube videos, I'm just like, wow, I have the freedom to do this and nobody can tell me no. Like that is the most amazing thing about living in America. You have the freedom to do that. Yeah. And it's also having the opportunity to do it because if you don't, if it's not provided for you, the means aren't there, then you're, you won't be able to actually even try in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like I noticed the same when I left Lebanon and I came to, to the UK, I was like, 
there's so many options to try things. I could just try so many different things that I didn't know existed. I could watch a like a proper theater play that has that is like so good. There's so many comedy shows to watch. There's so I tried cold water swimming the other day and I was like, this is really cold as fuck, but like <laughs> it's still fun to do. Like I could I barely did 10 meters, but like it was still nice, you know? It's like it was such a euphoric feeling once you get out. And you're not allowed to do that in in Lebanon? Of course, there aren't there aren't any cold there aren't any places to swim. Well, I mean, then it depends on the geography. That's not the political issue. That's literally freeside. You can literally swim in the ocean. Yeah, outside. (laughs) That's amazing. That's a free fun activity. The way you can just swim out in the the beach, you know, for free. You know, Annie, it's like, so what I'm trying to understand is that, so for you, the goal is the happiness, is the American dream. And all this money is a byproduct of that, right? Would you say? It is the yeah, money is not the, exactly you're not like is. super obsessed over the money, you know, it, it's just that it's just coming as a byproduct. You know, I always hear that when people get super rich, they get super paranoid and they get super like worried about losing all their money. Is that a real thing? That is a real thing. Um, I remember when I made a lot less and it was time to buy, you know, car insurance every time up for renewal. I always said, I want to get the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me the least amount of coverage and let my deductible be as high as possible. Right. I don't want to <laughs> pay so much for car insurance. Yes, exactly. That was my thinking because I was just like, well, I have nothing to lose. So. Mm. What's the point of insurance? It's just in case someone gets into an accident and I have to pay out, fine. I, I just do the legal bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after I bought this condo and then I had this issue with the balcony, I needed a whole new balcony. The project was $20,000. Um, and for this kind of project, you need a permit and you need to make sure like the contractor is licensed and everything, right? I always hear, oh, licensed and insured. I didn't understand its importance. <laughs> um, and then I was just like, whoa. And, and I started thinking, whoa, if he, if he does a bad job, what if my balcony collapses on the balcony below mine? That, and what if like I had a neighbor who, who had someone visiting or something was actually on the balcony while my balcony is collapsing? Who knows what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And then it injures her or kills her or something. And then next thing you know, I'm responsible financially for the damage and for someone's life. And that scared me. That really scared me. So that at that point, I was like, okay, let's increase the homeowner's insurance. Let's increase the car insurance. Ooh. And let's get umbrella insurance as well to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you start getting a little uh, paranoid because once... The difference in the mindset is like once people also know you have money, once they know you have money, they will try to take from you mm. in any given way. They will try to take it from you. Mm-hmm. Mm. What do you do if like someone from your friends or families try to start borrowing money? They're like, hey, oh, you're, you have some books now. You have more money now. Can I borrow uh, some yeah. money? I, I've never had anyone ask me to borrow Okay. Money. I've never had not even one friend or family member ask me. Um, I think it's because if they were to come to ask me, I would start drawing up contracts. 
<laughs> I think they know. I would start like writing up a contract and being like, okay, let me run your credit score or something. <laughs> and then they just don't want to get involved with that. I make it a little bit more difficult than someone else might just like pull the money out of their wallet and go like, yeah, you want to borrow $200? Okay, here you go. <laughs> yeah. They can pull out their credit score. <laughs> My <Right>. goodness. <laughs> I mean, why not? If you're going to be a bank. I would run the credits. (laughs) You wouldn't do that. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, So um, when I watch these like TV shows, like the extreme cheapskate shows where they're like literally like one guy is looking for roadkill and he's trying to eat that. Or the other person is like, dumpster diving you know like looking for food or medicine or is that uh, like worth it you know even if you have money like i understand if you're completely broke and poor and that's the only way for you to make money but a lot of these people they have money they have income they just want to save money um you know what's your thought on all that and is there anything you've ever done to save money that now you're like i won't do that again (laughs) Mm. actually all those examples you just listed were in 1001 ways to save money Mm -hmm. i actually watched the episodes just to get (laughs) some inspiration (laughs) to Mm -hmm. put in the book that i thought were pretty funny humorous um uh but i do think it's a bit too extreme i haven't done it myself (laughs) so i i I don't recommend it i feel like it's just a waste of time and it's also the things they that they do is a, a little disgusting Mm-hmm. Um, but me personally, like I said in the beginning, I used to keep track of every penny and, um, I can be a little extreme in that regard. Mm-hmm. My, I think my husband thinks it's like obsessive compulsive disorder because I, I will chase after someone for like six cents, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, we have this Japanese grocery store that opened up in Boston a few years ago and we went there. They're originally from Connecticut, where they charge sales tax on candy. But here in Massachusetts, the law is there's no sales tax on candy. So when we bought this Japanese candy from that store and we went home, I looked at the receipt. I was like, they charged me 21 cents sales tax on that candy. (laughs) I called up the... I called up the store and I was like, can I get the manager's email address? And then they gave it to me. And then I took a picture of the receipt and I emailed the manager the picture of my receipt. I said, take a look at this. I bought this grape candy and you guys charge sales tax and I want to get a refund on this candy. And I also want you to fix this permanently so that no one else gets charged sales tax on this either. And then he fixed it. And I said, I'll be there in this afternoon to get my 21 cents back. So then I, I took the tea which costs like, yes. I don't know, $2. <laughs> <Yes>. oh, <man. laughs> to get oh, my of <laughs> to get my 20. I went in there, I went to the cashier and I said, hey, um, I spoke with the manager earlier today and he knows what's up. I need to get 21 cents back in a refund. And then he came out <laughs> to give me 21 cents back in a refund. I said, thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. And then I took the tea to go home. So I spent $4 to get 21 cents back. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Bro, that's extreme as fuck. Come on. <laughs> that's pretty extreme. <laughs> I've got another story to tell you that just I, I have so many stories of these and I actually told 
one of them, a similar story to what I just told you to my my boss during my mm -hmm. job interview with him. Mm -hmm. So he he already knew what kind of personality I had <laughs> um, in terms of like, I really like to save money. And I used one of these as an example. I said, this is how far I'll go to save money and I'll make sure no one ever ripped you off either, mm -hmm. right? And he liked that. He was like, I like the sound of that. Um, <laughs> with the <laughs> same intensity as well, with like fierce no, gaze, it's like, exactly. <laughs> um, But then two years into the job, so like the first year I was there, not the full year. So, yeah. you know, the, the paycheck and you get a W-2 at the end um, for your tax return is prorated. But then the second year when I was on salary, it's it's supposed to be a full $80,000, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and because there's 26 paychecks in the year, they did 80000 divided by 26, which then when you multiply that out back again, it became like 79000 nine hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety two cents <laughs> you guys get what i mean right it's like this rounding it's the rounding error of like rounding up or down mm -hmm. because each paycheck is the same amount mm -hmm. with a penny and so when i got my last paycheck and then i got my w-2 form i emailed my boss i was like you shorted me eight cents <laughs> and and I was dead serious in the email. I wasn't like, you know, angry. I was just pointing out the fact, hey, you paid me eight cents less than you were supposed to based on our contract. And then he emailed me back. He was so angry. He said, you're being so disrespectful. You're saying I didn't pay you. I paid you the money. Um, what do you want me to do? And then I was like, no, I think you just made a genuine mistake. You had a rounding error on my paycheck. <laughs> Um, I thought you make. I thought you were gonna, gonna do, do like a final adjustment for the last one for the year, and you didn't. I didn't know that. Um, and then I, I was like, oh my gosh, he's so angry in this email. I don't know. Is he gonna be angry when I see him during our meeting? So I was like <laughs> bracing myself for the in-person meeting. I was like, what am I gonna say? Like, <laughs> calm him down. And then I walk in, and then here on his desk, he has eight pennies. He goes, here you go, eight cents. Don't spend it all in one place. By the way, this is even better because it's not being reported to Uncle Sam. So you got an extra two cents right there that's not taking off for tax. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what a beautiful so, story. <laughs> it's funny how he realizes his mistake as well. And he was like, okay, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> do you think about it like is there other any other times where it's a bit like obsessive too like when you're driving your car do you really think about fuel savings and stuff like that um you drive in any certain ways where it makes it like <laughs> this is the optimum way to drive so i can save money um, I, I used to every time well, when I when I lived in Texas, there was like a huge variance in gas prices across mm -hmm. all the stations nearby. Um, so every time before I had to fill the gas, I would open up the Gas Buddy app on my phone mm -hmm. to check what the reported <laughs> gas price was. Just so when it was time to fill the gas, I went to the station that charged the lowest uh, per gallon. No, no. So way. I used to do that. Um, but now what I do is because there's only like three near where mm -hmm. I live, then I always. I, I now know which one always has the cheapest price, so I just keep going back to the same one. But yeah, like I would do yeah. things like that. <laughs> so 
Is there something in your life that you don't budget at all? You just spend freely? Um, piano, which is actually really expensive. So I bought a $15,000 piano. Oh, wow. And yeah, nice. like, like an actual uh, acoustic upright piano. And I got like the more expensive option as well because I said, I'm not going to practice if I just get the normal version. I want the silent version where I can practice with headphones on. Mm. So that way, when I press All the right. key, nobody hears any noise, right? Uh, yeah. After 9 p.m. And so uh, I spent a lot on that. And then lessons as well. Uh, that's freely. And then I also have like music theory tutoring that I take. Um, any sheet music I have to pay for, concerts I have to go to, I, I spend freely on this one. Yeah. Okay. So is this something that... Like from what I'm understanding is like you would spend freely on something you truly enjoy, like your hobby. Is that correct? Yes. Would you? That, because it's always about happiness, like I said. Yeah. So in terms of your work and earning money, do what makes you happy, but budget, mm. you know, live within your means. And then in terms of spending money, spend as little as possible on life's necess necessities and then like go big on the things that really bring you joy in terms of spending money okay yeah and no, i think that's great advice to be honest it's uh, i i agree with that um can i ask you about credit cards i know you're kind of anti-credit cards but i've saved a lot of money on those you know cash backs and then also on the sign up bonuses you know me so I have a few credit cards, to be honest. And I pay them in full every month, you know. I'm like a good guy. And my credit score is pretty good. Thanks for asking. But then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, why are you so anti-credit card? Have you, has your mind changed on that? Or are you still paying cash for everything? <laughs> oh, yeah, since I wrote that book. So you're doing it based on when I wrote the book in 2017. When I mm -hmm. wrote 1,001 Ways to Save Money in 2017, that was the year I was earning minimum wage. And I had to get my husband on board on saving the $5,000. That was that year. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was very anti-credit card back then. But after we moved to Boston and we started earning more money, that's when we started using credit cards. So um, I think cash is the way to go when you don't earn a lot of money and you need to like keep an eye on every single penny. And it's not so easy to do that with credit card because it's just like numbers on a screen. So psychologically, mm -hmm. it's different. Right. Versus when I use cash, when I saw the money out and then I physically see how much I have left for each budget category, I was like, okay. And th that helps me stay on budget. But once you start earning more money, I feel like the credit card is kind of just like what you do. You know, you can mm -hmm. budget with the app, budget here, um, and you just pay it off in full every single month. It's a psychological thing. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. I never pay interest on those credit card loans. I'm not going to let them get me never in my life, hopefully. And then also, <laughs> but I, the one thing I do pay interest on, which I really hate is my student loans. But what am I supposed to do? I went to college. There's nothing I can do now. I still have those student loans. I'm paying them back every month. Yeah. You, the only the thing you have. Was oh, no, off. he's not going to. He's there. <laughs> <do that. laughs> I thought I was going to get relief, man. No, never. no, they're never going to do that. Um, <laughs> your only option is to earn more. That's really your only option. You, mm -hmm. you got to have some sort of, you know, if your full-time job is not enough, you either get a new full-time job that pays you tens of thousands more so you easily pay it off, or you get something on the side. 
a part-time job on the weekend or start your own side business in addition to your full-time job, you need it. Basically that's an income problem. It seems like you have no problem living within your means. So mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Sounds good to me. So don't, don't rely on anyone. Don't rely on any kind of president or any kind of government to yeah. wave away your student loans. You just got to do it the right way. But I, I do have something that might be interesting for you to know. Mm -hmm. So I, when I married my husband, he has student loans, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but he's still in school. So the payments aren't due. Mm -hmm. Um, but like some years I, I said, oh, you know what? We can start paying off your loans before you even finish, mm -hmm. right? And so he owes 40K. We've paid off a 18K. I oh, think that's we owe really good. That's great. That's yeah. amazing. So he owes 22K. It's not, not that much. I could easily pay that off in a year, right? <laughs> um, but, but what I did, what I did was, so my boss owns two companies. Mm -hmm. And so I asked him, can we just split my paycheck into those two companies? So like I work part-time for this company here and part-time mm -hmm. for that company here. And then um, the tax code is such that employers can give you student loan repayment as a benefit. So they can like make payments on your behalf as part of your paycheck. Okay. Or they can uh, pay you back for your payment that you made to the student loan as your paycheck, right? And that's not taxable. Wow. So basically, nice. so basically, like for example, I I don't remember what the limit was. I think it's five thousand five hundred per year per company or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I asked to split it off into two companies because then that puts it at like ten thousand or eleven thousand mm -hmm. or something like that. But like for you to make ten thousand dollars in student loan payments, you would have to earn thirteen thousand. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like you'd have to earn 13000 pay your taxes out of that, and then you'll have 10000 left to pay your student loan debt. So why not ask your employer instead to, you know, lower your salary and instead use that difference to pay your student loan direct so that's not tax taxable? You, you get what I mean? That's amazing. Or yeah. next time you get a new job as part of the negotiation part, for the offer, you ask them instead, hey, um, actually, I'd be okay if you just lower the salary a bit and give me the student loan repayment as a benefit or something like that. You know, well, that's you can a great idea. ask for that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Or you could be a student for the rest of your life and just keep <laughs> racking up the loans. <laughs> <laughs> Forever student. See, that's a really smart thing. And that's totally legal. That's a totally legal way. You're just finding the different ways to make it work. You know, that's what I love about everything you do. You know, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that do like shady things like shoplifting to save money or, Whoa. yeah, I know. I'm not, I have no, oh, cause you're that. in LA. That's yes. why. Whoa. <laughs> cause it's, yeah. it's it, technically it's legal to shoplift here, but yeah, up to $900. Right? Oh, okay. $900. <laughs> I've never done it because I think it's morally, you know, disgusting. But I understand that different people have different beliefs on it. And yeah, I don't know. But that's, in my opinion, not right. What I did once, though, once we were at a restaurant and then there was this like um, ad that said that you get, oh, before the four o'clock, you get this whole meal for like 20 bucks. And then we ate. And then afterwards, they charged us it was 40 bucks. And then my friends were like, oh, okay, we're going to just pay this. And I was like, wait a second. They said it was 20 bucks. The ad 
is right there. And so I called the manager. I was like, right. look at the ad. It said 20 bucks. You're charging me 40. And then he was like, oh, you're so right. We're so sorry. And then he fixed it back to 20. Bingo. And well, you didn't way... steal. You just pointed out the fact. Yes. No, I did. the. <laughs> <laughs> I just pointed out the, yes, the inconsistency and they made it work. Exactly. So that's a way, another way I've been able to save money in my life. And that's another hack. My last question. I have one last question for you, Annie. Um, about what do you do with the money you save? I mean, you've saved all this money. What is it better to buy a house? Is it better to buy Bitcoin? Is it better to just put it in the real estate market, the CDs or whatever, or stock market or just cash in the bank? Uh, I'm not the best, um, I think, person to give advice on this. This is Honestly, not financial advice. I'm not, I'm not a financial <laughs> advisor. I'm no <laughs> not qualified to do that. Um, but what I can tell you is the way banking is right now, nobody's money is safe in the bank. Like, mm, okay. I, I was reading, I've been researching a lot about derivatives, which I don't even understand. Like, it's too complicated <laughs> and confusing for me to understand. But something about, like, there's just too many derivatives on the bank's balance sheet. Not they're not even on the bank's balance sheet. They're they're off the balance sheet, so that mm -hmm. it looks makes the banks look healthier than they really are. Mm. Mm. And uh, the banks are also having a liquidity crisis right now as well, because of interest rates and because of the decreasing money supply in the economy. And um, basically, there will be more bank collapses at the rate it's going. And whoever comes out on top with the money out is basically a game of musical chairs. So I, I wouldn't feel safe having the money in the bank. And people keep asking me why I don't understand the logic, blah, blah, blah. I personally, intuitively, I just don't feel it's right. So I've, I've taken everything out. I don't, I don't have anything in the system. I, I personally, I put all the money into either cash or gold. And then once mm. it all collapses and nobody has money and i think <laughs> when the government realizes nobody has money and they want to print money um and your your dollar basically becomes valueless and there's going to be a lot of inflation then at that point that's when gold comes in handy because like let's say if gold is two thousand dollars right now once the government starts printing more and more gold will be worth more as well <laughs> it can buy yeah. more um and you can use that to also buy real estate when it's cheaper. When nobody mm -hmm. has money, real estate prices have to drop. Mm -hmm. So while the price of gold goes up, the price of real estate goes down. So you can actually okay. take advantage of that. But I'm not a fortune teller. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm not a fortune teller, right? That's just what I personally did based on my research. <laughs> yeah. So other than gold, what else would you advise people to put their money in? I mean, I see people saying to put their money in cryptocurrency, but I I cannot advise on that because I just personally, I feel like if I don't own it and it's not in my hand, I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable with it at all. Mm. Um, There's, you need more trust. You need to, to see it. It's, it's about the trust. Yeah. And also because um, I think my my mom told me, actually, our family used to be wealthy. I didn't know this until my mid-20s, but my relatives actually, on both sides of the family, used to be wealthy until the Chinese Communist Party took everything away. Oof. And 
Like okay. my my great grandfather owned twenty six chain pharmacies in China and in other Asian countries as well. And so when the Chinese Communist Party took over, they seized all of his assets in China, all his real estate, all the money in his bank account, everything became property of the government. And so when he tried to escape from Guangzhou to Hong Kong, the Border Patrol wanted a bribe for him to be able to get out. And because everything was seized, he couldn't get out. Um, he He's promising them like, hey, I have money. But my money is in Singapore. It's in Malaysia. It's in all these other countries. I have offshore bank accounts. I just can't access them right now. And I will give you the money after I'm out. I promise. But they were just like, no, we want the money now. Mm-hmm. And because he didn't have that, he had to go back uh, to Guangzhou. And I think after a while, he just gave up and then he committed suicide. But like, oh, imagine wow. if you actually like had that in your hand at that moment when you needed it. You could have like gotten out, you know. Yeah. So I I think of this people. I think people are very trusting of the system. I don't have trust in the system because of the things that have happened to my family. I don't I don't trust. I'm very cautious about it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. There's external factors that you have no control over. Said, what do you think, man? I learned a lot about money today. Yeah, me too, man. And. I learned where to put my money now as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Annie, for your time today. Um, This has been a beautiful podcast. I learned a lot about different ways to save money, different ways to spend money, and how to have a healthy life with money. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) Thank you, Annie. Well, guys, you heard it from, uh, from the best. Annie has taught you now how to save your money, how to earn your money, and how to pursue happiness as well with mm-hmm. your money. Thank you for watching the show. This has been this has been us. You know how to end it. Salute to cover the camera. Ooh. Oh, okay. Ooh.